take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It's only been two weeks since we started John and looked at John 1, 1. But with uh, Zane Pratt being here last week, for some reason it seems like it's been a month since uh, I've stood here and we've looked at this text. A very important text in this season of Advent as we think about the coming of Christ and think about uh, what he has done and what he has brought. And I want to go back into 1, 1 through 5 today and look at this whole thing that John is doing here. There is... There is a, there's a definite pattern, a definite plan that John wants you and me to pick up as we read these five verses. There's, there's definite parallel and there's definite truth that it's important, I think, that John, under the, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it's important that we hear and see what he wants us to see. He's not just choosing to start where he starts uh, by accident. He's not just choosing to start here sort of willy-nilly. He chooses to take a total different approach from what Matthew and Luke do as far as talking about the incarnation, talking about the coming of Christ. They began in the manger. They began when Christ was born. And, and the few things just prior to that, Mary being told by the angel that she was about to conceive and bear the very Son of God, the perfect Son of God, the Son of God who would deliver his people from their sins. I mean, I mean, that's a great place to start. That's a great understanding. Or, or with Joseph, Luke, with Joseph being told, uh, excuse me, Matthew, Joseph being told about the, the uh, development there that was taking place in that pregnancy that he was not to be afraid of it, but he was to, to embrace that and take Mary as his betrothed, as his wife, because what was happening in her life was not something normal. It was not something common but it was the the very power of God being manifest the very incarnation of Christ taking place in that little probably 14 or 15 year old girl in Palestine 2,000 years ago John says all that's important but it's also important that we understand Jesus before the birth Christ before the birth in the manger it's important that we understand where he came from that he didn't come from Mary and Joseph. He didn't even just come from Mary. But rather he came from eternity past. He came from being with the Father for all of eternity. He, he is God, God in the flesh now, but he is no less and none less, nonetheless God. And John says we need to understand that when we come to this, this time of the year because it would be very easy to just get captivated by the baby in the manger. Everybody loves the baby in the manger. Everybody likes to talk about sweet little Jesus boy. Everybody likes to think about that, that beautiful scene in poverty and in, in the barn and no room at the inn and, and what a horrible story. And some even said, see, it's, it's well, I won't even go where some people have gone with it. But, but the point is, they love to talk about that. But many times in foolishness because the baby didn't remain a baby. Can't say that enough during the Christmas season. The baby grew up into the man, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter expressed it in his great affirmation and his great confession of faith. 
So John wants us to understand where he came from, and he wants us to understand the significance of his coming. And he uses two very interesting words to do it. Listen to this, just these first five verses. He continues on with it in the other verses we'll look at in, in, in weeks to come, probably in the first of January. We probably won't next Sunday on Christmas Day. We'll look at something else. But, but I want you to hear what John says. These are powerful words. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not, New American Standard and King James says, comprehend it. Other translations will say overpower it. Others will say the, the darkness did not defeat it. And, and looking at the Greek word there, that's exactly what is being meant, what is meant there, that, that the, dark, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. It can't defeat it. It can't put it out. The light is so bright, so powerful, that nothing can extinguish it, no matter how hard man may try, no matter how hard our culture may try, that light will never be extinguished. That's what John's saying. But I want you to see the parallel here between John 1, 1 through 5, and Genesis 1 in that creation story there. Because John really is alluding back to that. If you go back to Genesis, it says, In the beginning, same as John starts this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was void and without form. And God spoke something immediately. The first thing he spoke into existence was what? light let there be light and the light shone and all of a sudden the chaos that was there began to take form and take shape as God declared it to be so as God commanded it to be so and so even in Genesis 1 you have that idea of light God creating light and here John says Jesus came as the light of men he is the light the ultimate light the absolute light that comes into the world God has always been showing light since the very beginning. Since the day he created the world, there has been light. And that, that light has been pointing toward him, has been directed toward him. General revelation, you know, the, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. All of that has been pointing toward Christ for all this time. Nothing different, nothing unusual about that. But now in Jesus, John is telling us, and we'll unpack this a little bit in a minute, but John is telling us that the ultimate light has come, the ultimate expression of God has come, and it's been spoken by his word, which in the beginning he spoke a word that there be light, and there was light. The word was the creative force of God. The word was Jesus there in the beginning at the creation with him, and he's tying all of that together, and he's the light. But after God created light after God spoke light into existence then God said let there be life and he created the plants and, and the plants began to grow and there was life in those plants and then then he created animal life and then he created the the what it, most believe is the crowning part of his creation he created man and he breathed life into man so in the beginning when creation came about God created by light and life. God gave light and God gave life. And now John says, in this, 
in this new creation, in this new expression of what God is doing, this, this total expression, if you will, of what God is doing, God is again dealing with light and with life. You know, a lot of times when we hear somebody that's made a real change in life, you know, maybe it's been a conversion to Christ or, or maybe they've just, we, we just know some people who've tried to straighten things out in their life. A lot of times we will use the expression, you know, uh, they saw the light. You know, they, 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 they knew they were in darkness, they knew something was wrong, and, and they saw the light. Well, that's not bad at all. That's not a bad expression at all, especially for a person who is converted to Christ. When you came to Christ, it is a very clear matter that you saw the light. The light came on. The expression of who Christ is and what God has done in Christ became a searchlight in your life. It brought conviction of sin. It brought an understanding that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that light just shined forth and said, and you need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And the light became very clear in that way. John wants us to understand that his favorite way of showing Jesus as the light is to present him as the revealer. He's the revealer. He's the, he's the height of God's revelation. You know, when we studied Hebrews some time back, if you remember in Hebrews chapter 1, it said, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and in the prophets and in many portions in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The writer of Hebrews there is saying the exact same thing that, that John is saying here. That listen, this light that's coming in the world now, this light that's being born now is the ultimate, the complete, the final light of God that will show forth itself and darkness will not be able to destroy it. Darkness will not be able to overcome it, overpower it, defeat it in any way. There are three areas that John, throughout this gospel, is going to show us that Jesus is the revealer. And it's important to understand this idea of light as revealing. If you go into a home that you see a lot of dim lights and people like to keep their lights low and dim, it might be for a lot of reasons. They might have a aversion to light. I don't know. But one of the things that I always do when when I haven't cleaned up the house like I was supposed to maybe and Retta's coming home from a trip like she will tomorrow is I try to keep the lights low. You know, just a lamp or two. Don't turn on the big stuff. Because if you turn on the big stuff and the light really shines, all of a sudden all those things that I failed to do, all those things I failed to see become evident. Probably not to me, but to her. Uh, because light reveals, light unfolds, light uncovers. If you go out at night looking for something in your yard, you don't go out and just stumble around. You usually take a fairly powerful flashlight with you, and you use that light to shine that it might, be a, a, it might reveal what is out there. It might show you what is there. I mean, light is always a universal understanding of revelation, of, of revealing stuff. And, and John is simply saying here, this one who is coming into the world by way of Mary, this one who is now ab about to present himself as, as God incarnate, uh, this one who is coming is the revealer. He's the light. He will show you things you've never seen before. He will expose to you an understanding like you've never had it before. Because light also means understanding, revealing and understanding. There are three things that John tells us throughout this book that Jesus 
basically serves as the light to reveal to us. Number one, he reveals to us the invisible Father. He, inveals, he, he reveals to us the invisible Father. That is God on his throne, God in his heaven, God who is the, the ultimate of, of, of everything, God who is the creator of all that there is. Jesus came to open our eyes and shine light on who this God is. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've been with me and known me, you know the Father. I mean, he made that clear to his disciples. I don't know if you've been following the news lately, but, but there is a, uh, some work going on in Europe in one of these mega collider thingamajigs that I don't understand at all. But the word is that they, they feel fairly confident that they are about to discover the God particle. And, and the God particle is this subatomic, sub anything a particle that kind of explains it all in other words they, they feel like if they can get things broken down far enough through all this colliding of stuff inside this collider thing that I, I, I don't understand it I really don't but but if they can get it all down to the to the thing they'll find the God particle and to them the God particle is that particle that that really gives meaning to matter, helps us understand why there is matter, why this is here and, and that chair is there, why, why there's matter in the world, why we're here in, in a material thing. If they get to that particle, they'll say, that will tell us what the beginning was and why there is matter. Well, that's what Jesus came to reveal. You don't need a collider to do that. He came to reveal us not the God particle, but the God supreme the God who is over all, in all, and, and everywhere, the God who reigns over his creation, the God who made it and the God who sustains it, he is the ultimate God particle, if you will. And they might as well quit searching for it. Jesus said, I came to show you the Father. I came so that you might have light to understand who the Father is. Now, what does that, what does that personally mean to you? Well, it means that really and truly, apart from the work of Christ in your life, you'll never understand God. As much as you try, as much as you seek, as much as you, 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 you gravel, gravel over it, you, you'll never understand God apart from Christ because he's the one who shows us. So, so during this Christmas season, as we celebrate the baby, we, we celebrate the baby as the one who came to show us the Father, to reveal to us, to give us the light, to show us the light. Because the light is what is absolutely necessary to see the Father. John will tell us later he came to reveal to us truth. He'll say, for the law was given through Moses, uh, but grace and truth were revealed or were realized through Jesus Christ. So he came to reveal to us the Father. He came to reveal to us truth. And, and, and I always tie truth and grace together there because I think they, they are of the same substance in many cases because the truth really leads us to the grace of God. The grace of God shows us what the truth is. And, and so Jesus came to show us and reveal to us and help us realize what God's grace and truth is all about. You cannot understand God's grace apart from Jesus Christ. Now, you can presume on God's grace apart from Jesus Christ. 
And there are a lot of people in this world today who are presuming on the grace of God. They're saying, oh, you know, I don't, I don't trust Jesus. I don't follow Jesus. But, you know, I just believe God's a fair and righteous and good God. And, and, and in, the, in the end, he's going to take care of me, and I'm not worried about that. That is a presumption upon the grace of God. Even people who are sitting in churches sometimes that have really never trusted Christ. They say, oh, well, you know, I've, I've done all the right things and I'm, I'm now living my life for myself and I'm going out and doing what I want to do. I really don't care about obeying Christ. I really don't care about obeying God. But, hey, I've made the right decisions. I've made the right moves, if you will. And so I know I'm all right with God. I talked to somebody last week over at the hospital and, and basically uh, they're not a member of our church. I, I just met them happenstance and we got into spiritual discussion and, and we were talking and I said, well, well, have you, have you ever trusted Christ? He said, well, yeah, I did uh, when I was seven years old. And I was baptized and joined the church. And I said, well, what is your walk with Christ today? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, how do you worship him? Where do you worship him? What do you? Oh, well, I just kind of do my own thing. I'm not really into that. That's not anything. But I know that I was baptized and saved when I was seven years old. And so I don't have any need of anything else. That is a presumption upon God's grace and truth. He does give eternal life, but he gives eternal life to those who trust in Christ alone, not in their works, not in the fact they were baptized, not in the fact that they joined a church for a period of time, but in the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life, reigning in their life, that Jesus Christ is the light revealing to them, not only the Father, but revealing to them the grace and the truth of God every single day. I was reminded of a quote of one of my heroes, Spurgeon, this past week, and I won't get it all right, but it, he basically was talking about this whole matter of, of trusting Christ, walking with Christ, living in Christ. And he said, to go to someone who says, I know what the will of God is for my life. I know what God wants out of my life, but I have no intention of following it. But I've been baptized. I joined a church. I did all the right, I did all this stuff. To go to someone who is in that condition, I've, I've made decisions, I've, I've been baptized, and I know what God wants me to do, but I have no intention of doing it because I'm doing my own thing. Spurgeon said, don't, don't pamper them in their presumption. Don't tell them, well, okay, you're all right because you did all those things back when you were a youth or, or, or whatever. Don't, don't pamper their presumption, but you must go to them and tell them that they are in, in dire need, uh, need of Christ, that they are facing ultimate judgment unless they turn to Christ and Christ alone by the grace and the truth of God. Don't pamper presumption. You know, this is what John is wanting to see. He's the... He's shown us the invisible Father. He's shown us what grace and truth is. He's, he's unpacking that. He's unfolding that for us so that we can see it in the flesh, in him. And he's also coming to be a revealer of life. Light, truth, grace, and life, L-I-F-E. says he was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. He's there at the creation. He's the word that was spoken to create all there is. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In him was life. There, there are many different dimensions of life. When God created in Genesis 1, he gave life. But he gave physical life there. 
he, he breathed into them the breath of life. He, he had the plants living, the animals living. They all had life, but it was physical life. God is responsible for your physical life and for my physical life as his special creation. Mankind is the special creation of God. And God is responsible for your physical life. You would not have come into being had God not willed it so. Okay? Understand? Not only is he the giver of your physical life, he is the sustainer of your physical life. If he decides that it's time for your life to be over, it will be over. If in his plan and purpose you have finished your plan and purpose, or, or maybe you're getting in the way of his plan and purpose, I don't know, but, but he, your life will end when it's his time to do so. He sustains life, he gives life, he sustains life, and ultimately he is the one who takes life. He's the only one with the right to do that. That's why we believe in the sanctity of life. But John is not concerned with the physical life like Moses was in Genesis 1. Because John is concerned here with spiritual life. In him was the life that brings us alive to God. In him was the life that gives us new life, reborn life. He'll tell Nicodemus later on in this book, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus gets all confused about how can I go in my mother's womb again? And Jesus said, you're missing it all, Nicodemus. And you're a teacher of the Jews. How can you miss this? I'm not talking about physical life. I'm talking about spiritual life. Unless you're born again in Christ, you cannot see God's kingdom. You cannot see God without spiritual life. And John is, is wanting us to see here that Jesus is bringing a new dimension of life, a new, a new life in this life even, spiritual life. Walk with him. Walk with Christ. Him working in our life. But he's also, I think, thinking in terms of a third dimension of life, and that is eternal life. He's going to talk a lot about eternal life in this book over the next uh, period of time that we're in John, however long God keeps us here. He's going to talk about eternal life because he's wanting us to understand that God who controls the beginning of time in life, God who controls the new life on this earth, is also the God who controls eternal life. He is the life, and the life was the light of men. This past week, much of the world had all sorts of different emotions, I suppose, when Christopher Hitchens died. Christopher Hitchens, one of the, the leading voices of the new atheist, you know, who, who, say, who says religion is bad, no good thing in religion, no good thing in, in believing in God, who, who wished that he could just, you know, eradicate in many cases although in one interview he said if he could he wouldn't which was kind of an interesting contradiction but when I heard when I woke up the morning after he died that night and I I've read everything Hitchens has written not everything I'm sure but I've read a lot of stuff he's written about uh, atheism about his views of atheism I've listened to debates he's done with other people and I've also read some of his other stuff that I really quite frankly enjoyed I, I liked Christopher Hitchens as a writer didn't agree with him one bit in worldview or, or faith because his faith was in himself. But I, it, it was a great tragedy that here was a man who chose to live in darkness his whole life. The light was around him. His, his darkness could not destroy the light. It could not overcome the light. But he chose to, to walk in darkness. He, he chose to not see the light. He, 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 he forever just wanted to say, I want no part of that. And he, 
hid himself and, and, and made really bad moves in doing that. But you know what? Christopher Hitchens was greeted with this past week when he passed out of this life because of esophageal cancer and, and into the presence of God. You know what he was greeted with? Light. I mean, big light. I mean, light like he couldn't imagine. And a light that exposed every error, every falsehood, every lie that he had believed for his 62 years. I'm not happy about that. I'm really not happy that that happened. I would have loved to have seen Hitchens come to faith in Christ. And, and I'd love to have seen him have, have proclaimed Christ down even near the end when he was in hospice at MD Anderson in Houston, Texas. I, I would have loved to have seen There's no joy in my life because Christopher Hitchens was hit with the light. But he was hit with a, life that exposed every, a light that exposed everything. And showed him that the life that he had chosen, the life that he had followed, was not the life that is the light of men. John wants us to understand the power of God's light through Jesus Christ. He wants us to see the Father. He wants us to understand grace and truth. He wants us to, to believe in the light and the life. He says in, John, in, in four, verse 14 in that book, he said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And many rejected it. But their rejection did not overcome the light. You see, darkness, darkness is a condition that exists only because there's a lack of light. There is no properties to darkness. Darkness, darkness is really not anything. Darkness is nothing. Darkness is just the absence the absence of light. If you come into this room tonight before the choir sings and, and all the, these artificial lights are turned out and it's dark outside, it'll be very dark in this room. And you could say, boy, this room is full of darkness, but it's not full of darkness. This room is just empty of light. You walk over the wall and hit three light switches and all these lights will come on and all of a sudden the darkness doesn't ease out the door, go out a window, darkness just vanishes because it is not. Light destroys darkness, overcomes it. We live in a world that is surrounded by light but yet in their own walk many times they choose to walk in darkness. To walk in darkness is to walk without Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, I ask you today to, to consider that in your own life. Are you walking in the light? As John says in 1 John, are you walking in the light as he is in the light? And if that's the case, then there's a continuous exposing, there's a continuous revelation of, of, of things in your life that the light shines on and reveals what is there that is not what he wants to be there. And, and there's a complete cleansing that comes from walking in the light. John says as we come to this Christmas season, this Advent season, can we see that that baby in the manger is the light of the world? Can we understand that that baby in the manger came to, to, to reveal and to expose 
all that's around us, that we might walk in his glory and walk in his truth and walk by his grace. This is the season that begins a 33-year pilgrimage to Calvary. This is the season that we won't wait 33 years to celebrate. We'll wait about four months. But in four months, we'll celebrate Easter, Good Friday, the Passion, the Crucifixion, the Burial, and ultimately the Resurrection of Christ, that our sins might be forgiven, that our our, our life might be filled with light and life and grace and truth. That is why in this season, to be a gospel-centered church, we have to place our trust in His life and purpose alone, His grace and truth, in Him alone, in Christ alone. But, but we can't be a gospel-centered church and just do it here internally, just do it ourselves. But we take that grace and truth, we take that light and that life to a world out there that desperately needs to hear it. I told that person at the hospital, I said, you know, you are, you are dwelling in darkness. And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, what do you mean I'm dwelling in darkness? There's light all around me. I said, Oh, there's all this physical light, but this light means nothing. You're dwelling in darkness from, under, from lack of understanding who Christ is, what Christ has done. I pray none of us will be guilty of dwelling in darkness when the light is there, when the light is bright, when the light is perfect and is calling us to come to Christ and confess Christ this Christmas season, this Advent season. Rejoice the Lord, the King has come. Let us bow before him in absolute submission. Let's pray together. Father, every person in this room this morning, every person in this room has experienced your gracious gift of life, physical life. And it is a gift from you. You didn't owe it to us. You didn't have to give it to us, but you gave us life. Father, I don't know. I can see that they have physical life because they're moving and breathing and They'll walk around in a minute. But I don't know if they have spiritual life. I don't know if they're walking with you or if they're walking in darkness. I don't know if they're depending on their works or Christ's righteousness imputed to them. I don't know if they're believing that Christ alone is their only hope and they cast their whole self upon you or if they're believing it's Christ plus what they can do to make it good.
and Lord, the reality is if we're trusting in anything other than the absolute sufficiency of the atonement of Christ, we are not in him. If we're trusting in baptism because we thought that was a thing to do and so we think that's how we're saved, then Lord, we're in, we're in woeful danger of judgment. If we're trusting in our good deeds and, and our being a good person, then, Lord, we are, we are standing naked before you with nothing but filthy rags hanging from our body. Father, as the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. I don't have anything to bring to you that's good all I can bring is my sin and you deal with it and I thank you for that so Father I pray this morning not for the physical life of these people it seems to be for the most part pretty good but I pray for the spiritual life of every person here every person that's in Grace Baptist Church Father I don't want to presume on anything and I don't want to pamper any presumptions pray Lord you break our hearts before you the living God break our hearts give us contrite hearts that we might worship you truly in spirit and in truth and that we might know your grace and know your truth completely thank you Father we pray in Jesus name Amen